G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. They rushed me to hospital. They ran a few tests. They ran check. They took a scan and they tried to do things. And finally, the doctors came out and said, "Look, we tried everything we could, but he just didn't make it." Dad said, "Can I see my son one last time?" So they said, "Yep, we'll go and get the papers ready for you to release the body." So Dad walked into the room. He saw I was there, and he just lifted me to God and he said, "Thank you, God, for giving me this boy. I release him into your hands right now." But just after he said those words, I started becoming warm. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to the story. Well, when Timothy Daniel was one year old, the doctors in his home country of Sri Lanka pronounced him dead and asked his parents to take his body. Timothy's father prayed fervently for his recovery and life came back into the one-year-old. Then, as the years went by, Timothy was blessed by an Australian family who sponsored him. This broke the cycle of poverty that his family had been in and allowed him to get a good education. But this did not stop Timothy from going through some significant struggles in his teenage years, where he almost died again. Today, Timothy Daniel will share his incredible story and how he is now helping other young people who are going through similar challenges. Timothy is chatting with Eric Scadabo in our Melbourne studios. Timothy Daniel, welcome to the program. Thank you, Eric. Glad to have you with us. And I have found out that in addition to your story, which is quite remarkable in and of itself, but it ties into several other stories that we've talked about on this program before. So longtime listeners to this program know that we've interviewed Clive Stebbins from the Victoria area, and then also Glenda Diaga, who is involved in ministry in Sri Lanka as well. So before we even get to your story, we got to go back and find out how all these connections intertwine with each other, and it all starts with a couple in Sri Lanka, a Christian couple in Sri Lanka. Tell us about this couple. Back in the 70s, right? Yes. So this couple, Cynthia and Alfred Devadasan, Mm -hmm. uh, they were working in the normal business sector. Mm -hmm. Cynthia was a secretary for a firm, and Alfred was working for another big tea company and stuff like that. And uh, one day, Cynthia saw a little boy scrambling in the bins looking for a piece of bread. Mm-hmm. And she was on the second level in her office on a typewriter, right? Nowadays, mm-hmm. kids wouldn't understand what a typewriter is, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> well, uh, the keyboard is the same as <laughs> the laptop. Same, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> similar, similar. So she was on a typewriter on this uh, level. And she saw this down on the down. She saw this little boy scrumbling for food. And uh, he was skinny. He only had his underwear on. So she tied a tea bun on a broomstick and passed it down really? through the window. <laughs> oh, wow. And this boy would come and pick that bun and eat. So every day at three o'clock, he would come to get this tea bun mm-hmm. from this lady. So one day this, she went down and met him and found out, you know, what he, and he, to see he's all the way from Hatton, which is about three and a half to four hours drive. And he said how he came to work and he worked in a home, but he broke a few dishes and the owners of the home beat him up, burnt oh. the only pair of clothes he had and kicked him out on the streets. How he old had, was he about? He was about 12 years old mm. and he had no way of going back home. His parent, his mom had died. His father was a witch doctor and uh, 
he had four sisters. So he was the only boy. So he was sent to come to the city to find work. And mm. he, because of this issue, and he couldn't go back home. He didn't know how to go. He didn't know how to speak. He was not educated. Mm. And he's from a Hindu background. So Cynthia took him home because Cynthia had seven sisters. Mm. And her mom, I mean, such an amazing lady. She took on this boy and looked after him like their own son. Oh, wow. And taught him, taught mm. him to read, taught him to write, shared with him the word of God. He gave his life to Christ. And uh, from then on, Cynthia had this burning desire for kids on the slums and the street mm. kids. So she would open up her home every day, open up her living room and get these kids to come. She will give a tea bun and a glass of milk, tell a Bible story, sing a song and send them back again. That's all she would mm. do. So she did this continuously for a long time which suddenly birthed into a massive ministry for the slum children. Mm. And that's where Clive Stebbins, who was the director of international needs in Australia, mm -hmm. and Glenda Diaga, who was a sponsor coordinator then, came and partnered with Cynthia. Oh, okay. <coughs> so, now we're hearing how it all fits together. <laughs> <laughs> so that boy on the streets was my father. Oh, really? That was your father? That was my father. Oh, my goodness. So... He, I'm getting chills just hearing all this. <laughs> this is a wonderful story. So he, after that, he became a Christian. Mm -hmm. He was fully on evangelizing. He he worked mm -hmm. for Campus Crusade for Christ. Mm -hmm. He worked with all that. And, you know, he did YFC. He did all those things. He went and worked for them. And that was his main goal. So when he went back to Hatton, that is in the mountains where all the tea grows. You drink mm -hmm. a nice cup of tea. That's where it grows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so... Uh, he went back there because that was his home place. That was his hometown. And by that time, his father had passed away as well. Mm. So he went there. He met a tea picker and got married. And that tea picker's father was a Hindu priest in a village. Okay? Oh, this so, is your mother. My mom. So my grandfather. So he would come and tell Cynthia, there are so many children up in the mountains as well. Uh, why don't you come and do the similar program there in mm -hmm. my grandfather's house? And uh, uh, wait, 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 how did he feel about that? He was fine about it. Oh, okay. So Cynthia would travel once a week. Every Friday she would travel up the mountains to Hatton. And in my grandfather's house, it was a mud hut. Mm -hmm. And all around were these idols, mm -hmm. right? The Hindu idols. Hindu idols. Mm -hmm. So this house was probably maybe the size of the studio. I don't know how big the studio is, but it's really small. Three meters by three meters. Yep, yeah. yep. So those listeners, you'll know what a size it is. That mm -hmm. size was it. And uh, so she would go. Give a tea bun, give a glass of milk, tell a Bible story, sing a song, and send the kids out. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what she did. Mm -hmm. And the next week when she went up, obviously, you're getting a free tea bun and a glass of milk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neighboring kids started coming oh, yeah, in. Yeah, right? of course. Yeah. So it was too packed inside the house. So my grandfather had to put a tent outside oh, wow. to host the children. And it continued like that. For a few weeks, then we had adults that came in to listen to the story, the oh, Bible wow. stories. Yeah. And uh, they didn't get anything to eat, but they enjoyed listening to the story because Alfred was a very good storyteller. He had mm. flashcards and he would mm. dramatize the story. And he was amazing at telling the Bible story, so which people really enjoyed. He would pick a story for that and they would share something and like that, you know. So through that, one day, my grandfather's house had only one plastic chair in his house. That's where he sits on. Mm -hmm. so one day while the children were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. All the kids were singing this song. He held that chair and he started crying and weeping. Wow. And he was shaking and everyone got worried. What's wrong? And then he just blurted out, said, if your God loves us so much, I don't want anything to do with this religion. 
That night, he took down all his idols. He broke it. He burnt it in front of the village. He resigned his post as a Hindu priest. My mom, my grandfather, my grandmom all got baptized in a river close by. My mom was pregnant with my sister then. Oh, wow. So, so a complete change. Complete change. For there. your parents' family. Yeah. Completely changed. And my mom was still a Tipika. She was a Tipika. What is a Tipika? Uh, so a Tipika is a person who has to pick... The tea you drink. Oh, a tea picker. Picker. Tea oh, okay. Picker. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I wasn't understanding your accent. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so she would have to pick 26 kilos of tea and she'll earn a dollar for that day. Oh, wow. So if she doesn't pick the quota for the day, she doesn't get paid. So wow. that's the lifestyle of a tea picker. Rain, sun, whatever it is, they've got to pick that tea. And that's weighed in the mid of the day to see whether they've got that quota or not. And then they get paid for that day. So there were many days, you know, we would come and, you know, mom wouldn't pick the quota. We wouldn't get uh, food to eat or anything because she wouldn't get paid for that day. Wow. And we were given line houses, government houses. So if she doesn't work as a tea picker, then we are not able to stay in those houses. Hmm. And from a young day, that's all she did. She wasn't educated. So she her life was just picking tea. So that's a bit of the background of how mm-hmm. Cynthia yeah. and then Alfred and then through that, how uh, International Needs Australia came into partner uh, with us in Sri Lanka, with Cynthia and Alfred. So the Australian ministry and that ministry that this Sri Lankan couple started partnered together. Yes. So Australia was the funding partner for the ministry. I'm not sure how actually Cynthia met the thing. I think it was at a conference or somewhere Mm -hmm. where they met and international needs. I think Clive was the one who was very interested uh, in this. So we've met Clive. I met Clive when I was, I think, at the age of six, I met Clive (laughs) when he came to Sri Lanka. And uh, he used to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with us in Sri Lanka. (laughs) (laughs) I still remember him, you know, he would always be Shredder. (laughs) He would have to catch us running around the house and he would be sweating away. (laughs) But he just, I mean, I I love that man. I mean, what he did was amazing. Yeah, quite a legacy he's had. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's since passed away. Yeah. But But he's had a major impact. The legacy is continuing. Yes, he's had a major impact in my life. Someone Mm -hmm. who I really looked up to, who really you know, encouraged me even in ministry-wise. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's go back. So your parents yes. now at this point are both Christians. Yes. And your grandfather, yes, the former Hindu priest. Then your parents have a child, the first child, yes. Rebecca. Rebecca. Which also, there's another whole story because her story was mentioned when Glenda Diaga was yeah. sharing her story. She also shared your sister's story. Now, I didn't know that. I didn't know. I was reading about you preparing for this interview, and I'm, I'm like, wait a second. There's a Rebecca? Could it be the same Rebecca that uh, Glenda Diaga shared about? But yes, it's the same one. Please tell us your sister's story. So, Rebecca was born in my grandfather's house, mm-hmm. and she was born in that mud flow. And then she also was sponsored by a family, mm-hmm. and she was educated. And now she runs a ministry called Wings of Hope in Sri wow. Lanka. Working with vulnerable women, with children, and uh, she's branched out and doing some amazing work in Sri Lanka. Yeah, and she worked with Glenda Diaga. Yes, so she's she's, uh, linked in with Mukti Mission. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which Glenda Glenda Diaga is involved in. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Scatterbo is chatting with Timothy Daniel from Sri Lanka. 
We just heard how his family became Christians and involved in ministries. Next, we'll hear Timothy's story and the miraculous events that occurred when he was one year old. All that and more is coming up when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Our guest today is Timothy Daniel from Sri Lanka. Before the break, we heard how his parents became Christians and then became involved in ministry. Then his sister Rebecca was born and she would later go on to serve in ministry also. And then Timothy was born. So two years after that, I was born and... uh, See, when mom needs to go to pick tea, we had a lady who would look after all the children in the line houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I was in this hammock, like a sari would have tied to the river. We never had cots or anything like mm-hmm. that. And we were kept in that. So I had tried to get up out of this cot and, you know, get myself away. My, my leg got tangled onto it and I hit my head on the ground and I was dangling from that oh. upside down for a while. And I was yelling and crying, but this lady couldn't hear me. And later on, she heard me and then she came, picked me up, untangled my leg and put me back to sleep again. But she didn't tell my mom what had taken place. Mm. That night, I got high fever. And my high fever, they couldn't bring down the fever, so it turned into fits. It affected my nervous system. Mm. And my fits got really bad. Both my knees buckled out, my hands buckled out, my jaw shifted to a side. And it was a terrific sight to look at, my dad was saying. Then he had to rush me to hospital. So they rushed me to hospital. They ran a few tests. They ran check. They took a scan and they tried to do things. And finally, the doctors came out and said, look, we tried everything we could, but he just didn't make it. Mm. And uh, they said, even if he was alive, he'll be a child who'll be unable to walk because then his, uh, the fits have affected his nervous system and that nervous, he's uh, torn his ligaments near his knees and the muscles and some terminologies they were using mm. that said, where he, they said even my nerves were erupted from the sides. Mm. And uh, they had a germ in my body and all that. Mm. So they said, even if he was alive, he'll be a boy who'll have a walk. And you'll have to take him to therapy and he'll have to do a series of operations. Mm. And which could not be done in the government. You'll have to do it privately. You mm. can't afford it. So therefore, you know, trying to like pacify my parents. Mm. Dad said, can I see my son one last time? So they said, yep, we'll go and get the papers ready for you to release the body. The dad walked into the room. He saw I was there. All the tubes were removed. He said, I looked like a frog because both my legs were still the other way. My hands were the other way. Mm. My jaw was on a side. And he just lifted me to God and he said, thank you, God, for giving me this boy. I release him into your hands right now. And he said, I was so cold. But just after he said those words, he said, I started becoming warm. Mm. And I just rolled on my dad's hands. And he said, as I rolled, the shocking thing dad said was both my legs came back into position, both my hands came Mm. back into position, and I sat up on my dad's hand. Mm. And the doctors said, where's the boy that's on the bed? Then dad was saying, no, this is the boy that was on the bed. No, 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 where's the dead body that was on this bed? Oh, wow. (laughs) They're expecting a dead body. Yes. So he said, no, this is the body. No, it cannot be. They took me in again. They ran a test. They did a scan. They did all that. And they came out with two x-rays. One x-ray showed when, and they said, this is when you brought the child in. 
and that can see all the joints were dislocated and all mm. the damage there and he said this is his bone structure now completely new bone structure he's got oh, wow. all his sensitive nerves are working there is no eruption there is mm. no tear muscle they couldn't explain what took place mm. but dad knew it was the hand of god mm-hmm. you know so when cynthia heard about this she said you know what why don't you bring the kids to colombo uh because you can't educate them let's put them through the sponsorship program mm-hmm. and see if they get a sponsor so my mom me and my sister went and lived with auntie cynthia and alfred in their home mm-hmm. she opened her home for us she looked after us and so she was like a second mom to me mm-hmm. so when i was 8 i got my sponsor a family from ballarat in yes. australia yeah. who sponsored me a couple hours to the west of here uh, yes a very cold place <laughs> <laughs> yes yes and uh she sponsored me janice uh, sponsored me uh, right through and i was able to go to school and get an education wow fantastic so now people listening might think okay happy ending you know he was healed everything's great his parents are christians your father yep. is now a pastor He's at this pastor, point yes. so everything's going to be just fine and dandy for timothy daniel's life from this point forward got a good education but in your teenage years there were some significant struggles what happened i mean how did you kind of go off the rails so i was brought up in a very christian environment mm-hmm. you know i had devotions every night early mm-hmm. morning prayers and you know all that i went to church at sunday school studied all the memory verses i was yeah. such a good boy yeah but the god factor in my life was something i never experienced mm-hmm. i was just following it because mm-hmm. i was told to mm-hmm. and i knew okay it's a good life to live and you know all that mm-hmm. But in our country in Sri Lanka 90% are Buddhists mm-hmm. less than 1% is only Christianity So even in school I was picked on for being a Christian Oh okay And uh, it came to a point where I really thought man if Christianity is this because being a teenager you don't want to be a person who's been always bullied and picked on mm-hmm. And I said you know what if this is Christianity I don't want anything to do with it and mm-hmm. I turned my life oh, completely okay. around mm-hmm. and i thought you know what i started getting involved with gangs i started doing all sorts of things where my life went off the rails mm-hmm. but i did my ri- rights by going to church doing sunday school okay. the bible was you know i was living a double life yeah, you yeah, know yeah. but i never like did it for the truth of it yeah so your heart was untouched yeah i was like just you know, going to satisfy my parents yeah. that's it yeah. you know and also the pressure my dad's a pastor you know being a pastor's child so everyone's you know. expecting you to be this good pastor's kid yes because the culture in sri lanka is that way mm. and after the pa- dad you have to take over you have to be that person oh, who is involved all in ministry oh, okay. and you know you have to be involved in all these other things and you know that pressure of mm. and auntie cynthia has his massive christian ministry like, even in school that was the expectation i had mm. i got it to a point i was I was a rebel in school even the principal when he she all called me up she always said your mother is doing such a good job and doing so much good work in that family look at you you are the devil's child mm. oh wow <laughs> and uh, quite the contrast it was and it was I got messed up so much 6 months before my year 12 exam I was expelled from school mm. the principal said I cannot have you in my school anymore and they kicked me out of school i didn't get a leaving certificate so i couldn't join another school and i was like yeah forget it i don't want you guys anymore and mm. i know mm. i was i was i had a lot of anger issues in me mm. mm-hmm. and you know certain things and uh, i wasn't bothered I, mm. i didn't care okay and that's uh, where you were at at that point at that point that's where mm-hmm. i was and i remember that i was at a gang fight once and you know i had a guy drive a knife right through my shoulder oh wow 
and uh, I couldn't go to the hospital because if I go, it'll be a cop case and all that. So mm. I just pulled the knife out and I put a padding into it and I just went back home. You know, I, so I still have the scars. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, my life got so messed up. This is when I was 15. Mm-hmm. In one year, I don't know. I, when I look back, I wonder, man, in one year, I did so much damage to my life. <laughs> mm. But three things I know. I never wanted to do drugs. I never wanted to do drinking or smoking. Those are three things. Even... before i knew god or anything it was a thing i never wanted to get involved mm-hmm. with and i just had my boundaries mm-hmm. like my friends did and all those things they were doing it but i said i'm like no man not that's not for me i don't mm-hmm. want it mm-hmm. you know and uh, it came to a point where i got disgusted with my own life and i remember on this wednesday night i was thinking you know what is life really worth living mm-hmm. what's the point I don't see hope for me. I'm out of school. I don't see an education. I don't see a future for me at all. Mm. You know? And in my head is playing you are no good. What can anyone do with you? You're a disappointment to your parents. Mm. You're a disappointment to even those that sponsored you. You got mm. an opportunity and look what you've done. You've thrown mm. it away. And you know, all these thoughts playing in my head. And I thought I'm going to commit suicide. And uh I went to a guy uh, who I knew with a girl, with the gangs and I asked him to do me a cyanide tablet and uh, I took he said okay he did me one and he said uh, uh for what is it for I didn't say it was for me I said it I needed for something else so I took that and on Friday night I sat there with that in my hand what about to take it I get my phone was ringing and I used to street race on motorbikes mm-hmm. uh for money so this guy calls me and says hey man there's a race tonight do you want to race Oh. Right about when I was going to take my tablet. So I'm like, oh, okay, one last ride, <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. That's and, how close you were. Yes. So I said, okay, what's the race? He said, come, come uh, bring. And so I didn't have a bike. I had no money to buy a, a, a racing bike. But one of my friends was very rich. He, I used to always borrow his bike. And when, from when I get, what I get my wins, I give him an amount. He, I take an amount. Mm. So I went to his place. I said, man, I need your bike. There's a race today. He said, yeah, take it and go. Took the bike. I went to the race uh, place. So it was at about 12 o'clock midnight. And uh, so we placed the bets. There were eight riders for the race. And finally, then they said, we're going to race on oncoming traffic without helmets. Wow. So then the bets went higher. And as the bets went higher, what happened was a lot of them backed out because they said it's too dangerous. Mm-hmm. I said I'm not backing out, you know. Let's do this. So finally there were five of us who agreed to go for the race. You're suicidal already. Yes. Hmm. So in my head I wasn't bothered about my life at all. Hmm. And I was just wearing a sleeveless arm cut, three quarter pants and two bata slippers. Hmm. <laughs> so the race started, went through all and we went uh, along and I uh, came there was a part where I do a U-turn, mm-hmm. turn back and go back. So I had a very bad habit of not looking at my side mirrors. So I always mm. turn my head and look back to see. So I was leading this point and I just wanted to see how far are these guys away from me before I do my U-turn. Mm. I looked back and I saw these guys and I thought, oh, they're quite a distance. As I turned around, all I saw was a truck's face right in front of my, right in front. Oh, wow. No headlights on. There was a truck. I could see the silver mesh <laughs> right in front. And I was hitting about 120 at that time. And I... I had a split second to decide what I needed to do. I couldn't brake, I couldn't swerve because it was too close. It was mm-hmm. a call that was too close. Mm-hmm. I just let go of the handles. And my bike rammed into this truck. I remember I, I was thrown on the windscreen of the truck and I flew right up into the sky. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I'm going to die. You know, I was falling at a at a speed. And as I was, before I could reach the ground, 
two hands behind caught me and put me on the ground on my shoulders i just mm. felt two big hands just catch me like mm. this and put me on the ground i got up i looked behind there was no one this is about 2 o'clock in the morning not a person on the streets mm. that freaked me out and uh, i can see way ahead of me the bike crashed into my truck i didn't have a scratch i didn't have anything on me and all the racing guys came the other guys came organized it and they were wondering what happened you know where is the guy on the bike So I was like here here I'm here I'm here I'm coming. Wow. <laughs> They're expecting to find a body. They were expecting to and uh I didn't have a scratch on my body. Really? I didn't even have a bruise. Wow. <laughs> and uh they were wondering how did you escape this? So I didn't I couldn't say two hands caught me they'll think I was on drugs or something yeah. you know. I just said no I saw I got a bit I lost a bit of control I saw this guy coming and I leaped off the bike mm-hmm. before. And uh that's why I landed safely you know. I tried to make up a story. Mm-hmm. And the police were going to come. It was about there so I removed my number plates. They split the money. We couldn't complete the race. We split the money and the bike we changed the chassis number so that it cannot be traced. So I took my number plates and I went home. I sat down that night and my mind so many things were going through my head. And I'm wondering what actually happened from Wednesday. I've been noticing weird weird things happening to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And I kept putting my hand to my back because I could really feel that two hands. I knew mm. it was two hands, it was nothing else. Mm. And I thought, you know what? This was Friday night, right? Mm. I thought, you know what? Let me go to church on Sunday. <laughs> oh, okay. So what's getting your attention? So if that doesn't get your attention, <laughs> nothing's going to get your gonna attention. Yeah. So I thought, okay, let's we go to church on Sunday. So Sunday I went to church and uh I sat down at the service right at the top in the balcony. I was at a Methodist church. Mm-hmm. They sang a song. I didn't hear what the preacher was preaching about because in my head so many things were running. Mm-hmm. You know, my head was messed up. So, as I was leaving down, my youth pastor caught me. Oh. And he said, "Hey Tim, I haven't seen you for youth for a long time. You know what's happening? You know, your your exams are coming up in 6 months and how things going?" So I said, "No, I got expelled from school and you know this and what? Really? What happened?" And for some reason he dragged me to a corner where there was a a cemented stool there he sat down with me and I said hey tell me what's happening why what happened and for some reason I just opened my hmm. life out and I just spoke to him Okay that was part 1 of Eric Scadabo's chat with Timothy Daniel from Sri Lanka who's sharing his life journey and as we just heard at a very low point in his teenage years he had become suicidal but as we'll hear god turns the whole situation around that's all coming up next time but before we end today i just want to let you know that if you can identify with timothy's life at that time and you need someone to talk to you can call lifeline suicide prevention number 24 hours a day 7 days a week the number is 131114 once again lifeline's number 131114 14. Well, until next time when we'll hear part 2 of Timothy's story and the miraculous ways God has been working in his life, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on the story. In my life I thought, you know what? What can God see out of me? I'm like just nothing. I've messed up so much, you know. And he said, "Tim, I don't know about you. God has already chosen you for something." and he's not going to let you go until you finish what you have to do for him. Then he said God has a specific calling for you, you might not understand it right now, but he really loves you. 
At a low point in Timothy Daniel's life in Sri Lanka, he had become despondent and suicidal. But when he miraculously survived a brush with death, God got his attention and completely turned his life around. We'll hear how it all unfolded next time. The Story. Just another way vision is helping you look to God daily. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.